Welcome back, perfect peeps, to perfect.dev. Today, we are talking about bringing the Jamstack together with Tina CMS. And to talk about that, we have James Perkins. Hey, James, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Nice to have you. Thanks for coming out. Anytime. You want me back? I'll come again. Awesome. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> um, so a little bit about James. James does a weekly Jamstack video on YouTube with a full crash course every other week. He is building a public platform called Collabstream that allows you to create, schedule, and manage collaboration with others, which, by the way, we should probably link up and figure that out because that's the hard <laughs> part of our job. Uh, James is the new developer advocate at Tina CMS, which is what we are talking about today in bringing the Jamstack together with Tina CMS. And I just have to throw out there before uh, before we get started, you're actually probably employed by Forestry.io still. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's that's like the the next iteration of what Forestry awesome. was. So can you talk a little bit about you and, and your background and how you got started in all this? Yeah, we could talk about that. Um, yeah, so I've been in the industry now since 2010. I want to say 2010, maybe even 2009. I was a self-taught Java developer. I learned Java from a terrible dry book. And it was <laughs> the most boring experience of my life. Um, but I originally wanted to be a teacher. So I had gone to sort of college and, and wanted to be a teacher and realized that um, you guys don't pay teachers very well in the United <laughs> States. So I was like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. So I just sort of transitioned from that, started to learn code, was working at a software company where I met my wife um, doing customer support on the phone. So that's what we were doing. And I got my lucky break when there was an opportunity available at that company. And then that was the start of my career. I did Java development for that company. And then I moved around wow. a few different places. <laughs> I've worked for, you know, IGT, which is the biggest lottery provider in the United States and Europe. And then I went to Plaid, which is a big fintech startup. And now I'm at Tina doing developer advocacy. Were you developing at Plaid? Uh, no, I was actually the manager of okay. some of the... I was the manager of the developer support engineers. So they were the people that helped people get integrated with, with Plaid. So you oh. live in the United States now? Yes. Or you have for a while? Yeah. Uh, I have been here... Uh, this is my 12th year. Okay. Uh, I came and I'm a green card holder. I got married to an American. My wife is from New Hampshire. And we live in North Carolina. Oh, nice. So you're stuck here, it sounds like. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, you know, if I if I want to go home, I have to take her with me. So, yeah, oh. <laughs> definitely, definitely stuck here. And uh, I, I don't plan on going back unless something really terrible happens, I guess. <laughs> hey, if, if you made it through uh, 2020, I, I think you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what I keep saying, is that I'm, I'm, we all made it through 2020. It was rough, but here we are. And yeah, I, I, you know, glad that Hopefully things are kind of going the other side. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad we're getting to that point now where yes. we might actually be coming out the other side. So what did that transition to de developer advocate from a developer? I don't know your manager role look like for you. 
Can, yes. can we back up even a step before that, just for my own personal, because I'm kind of going through this. What was the change from a developer into that management role first? Yeah, that was rough. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. So being a manager means basically like you never really see anything at it ever again. So like code basically was non-existent. Like anything I did that that was day-to-day hands-on basically disappeared, which was actually a blessing in in some ways, which we'll kind of talk about how like the transition to dev advocate. But yeah, basically everything I did every day kind of went away and it was a lot more about like helping people, managing them. How can I help them do, do new things or, you know, grow as a developer or a support engineer or whatever they wanted to do. Um, but it was a weird transition, but it was, it was definitely, it's definitely fun and challenging and it was different than being a developer every day. Um, would I do it again? Mm, we'll see. Were, were you able to still like build yourself up and learn, or was that something on the on the side that you had to keep going? You know, moving from a day to day developer into that management role. Yeah, so I took a different approach than probably most people, which was I was I was already very technical, like obviously coming from that technical background, right. and the other manager that managed like the West Coast was less technical and more like she was very good at at other pieces of the manager role. So what I did was kept all of my technical skills and everything going on in the company, just up to date all the time, um, which allowed me to, to support people in a different way. So I, it allowed me to, to support someone who maybe had a technical question and didn't know who to talk to. They could come to me and then I could either filter to the right person or answer their question directly. So yeah, that worked out really well. I'm, I'm glad we're able to talk about this. I'm trying to <laughs> go in this team lead direction. I'm a little nervous of my dev skills running away from me. So that's, that's good to hear. So I totally got Brittany off on her question. So that, that next step into developer advocate, since you were away from the code for a bit, what was that like after that? Yeah, I think like, so 2020 sucked for everybody, right? But for <laughs> me, it was a blessing because it's, because no one could go outside, no one could do anything anymore, right? So we're all stuck inside, we're all in quarantine, we're all doing whatever. It gave me the time to actually create content on YouTube and do the other passion I had, which was teaching people. So I got to do that every week, whether it was live streams in the beginning or it was crash courses, just regular tutorials, whatever it was, um, which sort of already, I was already an advocate, but one for my own work and two for just Next.js. Like that was basically every video on my channel is pretty much Next. It's that. It's just Next.js. And um, so, yeah. So like for me, I was just advocating for Next.js every day and I was advocating for those sort of either products or companies that didn't really, like weren't shown that well in the the Jamstack space. Sure. and so that kind of transitioned into doing something for Tina, which was just completely off the cuff, like, oh, this is cool. Like, let me use it. And then the more I used it, I was like, I got to do a video on this. Like, why are people not using it? And then that led into like, hey, we've, you know, we've seen your video, like we'd like to chat. And then that's how it kind of led into the advocacy role. And now the advocacy role has basically given me the flexibility to do all the things I'm passionate about but also for a company at the same time and get a regular income from it too. Yeah. And and get the, yeah. And get the regular income, which (laughs) everybody loves. Right. Yes. 
<laughs> I feel like that's probably a, a pretty large key to all of us doing this, but. Yeah, that's sure. awesome that they saw your content and then pulled you in and wanted you to um, work for them. So can you explain a little about what Tina CMS is then? Yeah, so there's kind of two parts to Tina now. Um, there's Tina Cloud and then there's Tina CMS. So the Tina CMS part that most people are probably familiar with uh -huh. is the open source front-end editable UI pieces that you can see. So it gives you the ability as a developer to sort of set something up and then have your marketing team, content creators, whoever writes those blog posts, they can do it on screen without having to know about the nuts and bolts behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. And now we have this Tina Cloud product that just went officially in alpha, which allows you to do authorization as well as to sort of funnel through GraphQL and, and allow you to do some really cool stuff. Okay. So we're pulling in like that auth piece that some CMSs don't offer. So that's yep. nice. Yeah. So it's kind of like a headless CMS. Like that's how you can imagine the Tina Cloud product now is like the headless CMS. And then we've got Tina CMS, which is the open source tooling. Yeah. It's, so it's interesting. When we talk about like Tina CMS, like, the initial part of Tina CMS really wasn't a CMS at mm -hmm. that point, right? It was basically like the UI portion to it all. But it sounds like it's it's kind of growing. And the reason I asked kind of initially in, the, in your kind of bio um, piece, if you're a part of forestry still, all of this is kind of coming out of forestry IO, which was more of a CMS, but now it's somewhat like rebranding and pulling the forestry pieces in as well as handling that UI part. Is that kind of to summarize it? I, I guess that's one way to look at it. I think, you know, the the Tina is very different than forestry okay. in in the overall picture. Um, and, and the focus on the jam stack, I think, is super important as well. Like, we're really, that's, that's where we want to be. Yeah, um, I noticed going through the site that um, it, says Jamstack on there, but it seems to focus on React or Next.js. Um, is there an ability to extend that to other Jamstack frameworks? So the original Tina CMS open source product, um, so not the cloud, but the Tina CMS, was focused on you could do things with Gatsby, you could do things with Next.js, React, like you had the ability. Um, but... We're focusing like on a narrow but like rich path. Um, so we're confident like once we nail like React and Next.js down, we'll be able to apply that to, to other frameworks and principles. Okay. Um, but there's like a there is a reason that we sort of have picked React slash Next.js mm -hmm. um, to to allow us to do some of the the cool features that that Tina has. Um, it makes it easier for us, and then it's uh, much better in you know. Next.js just does a great job of staying out of the way. Like it does a lot, but it also stays out of the way so that you, you know, you can do a lot of like data fetching and things like that, but there's no like hard and fast rules. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, we're trying to make that like focused and rich path first and get a really good experience. And then we can sort of extend it out. But having that open source allows you to basically, like if you want to use Tina CMS, and like do the open source front end editing, you can take that and extend it however you want and okay. then sort of do your own plugins. That's sweet. 
Um, so when we talk about kind of the Tina CMS as I know it, as it has been on that UI side, can you just describe, and I could even bring it up a little bit here just for the, the listeners, like what UI portions that makes up and how they could integrate it into a site, um, how the editor experience really works? Yeah, so I, I guess some people may like say, is it similar to like a WYSIWYG or something like right. that, like those editors? So like what we do is we, we're trying to go with the angle of like visual editing for developers is always seen as like something that's, you know, it's either like WordPress or something like that and it has that bad stigma behind it, right? Like, oh, gross, like you're using that. You don't need that. Like we should be controlling the content. We should be doing it. Like developers should be, once and you just do it in this screen and then we make it look pretty on the front end. So what we're doing, unlike other CMSs, is that they make, you know, you have to like log in somewhere and make those content changes and then it shows up on the site. Mm -hmm. But with Tina, as you can see from this kind of thing here, what you can do is you can have a sidebar that contains all of those different fields on the screen. The image, for example, the title, the body of the text, Someone can just come along, click edit, change those, see it change real time on screen. And it allows them to sort of reorg the screen if they want to change where something's laid out. And, and it's like giving developers a nice feeling when they do visual editing for their content creators without having that like nasty feeling behind it. And like we like different from say like Wix or Squarespace is that we do it in a way that we want developers to love, allowing you to, to, to use, you know, open source pieces, which means you don't have to compromise on code quality or structure of the content. Like you can create it the way that you want. And then you can store it in Markdown or JSON and I'll basically allow you to sort of build the best applications or websites that allows the developers to feel warm and fuzzy inside and allow those content creators to easily be able to do something and not have to be like, okay, so I've got this blog post. Okay. I got to give it to Brittany. Brittany, can you upload this to, to whatever site that you're using? If you're using Markdown. Um, okay. Now I'm looking at the content and the content looks off. Like I need to change these things. And then it's like this whole thing we want developers and content to basically work hand in hand and not have to struggle to to get new content on pages. And that's why we named that podcast this bringing the Jamstack together because it's like literally the best for both sides. So it's best for the developers and it's best for the people that are handling and managing the content. So it's a great thing. Does Tina CMS have to sit on top of another CMS to hold the content or do are you can you set up your structure in Tina CMS and do it all through there. So if you use the new Tina Cloud product, then you can actually define the full structure for each part and then use that to sort of define that that sidebar that you showed there where you could edit the content. You can define all of those fields, how they act, how they work together and allow you to do that content structure updates and you can define everything there. Otherwise, you have to create the forms yourself using Tina CMS, like the open source. You mm -hmm. do the same kind of idea, except from you have to define it in the code, unlike okay. the cloud where you can just define like a schema, a schema type, and then we'll do the rest for you. But you can use it as open source in the code. Okay, that's yep. awesome. 
I like that there's two different ways there too. It's another right. option for people. Yeah. So like if you have, for example, Strappy, like if you already have Strappy as your content management system, you can layer Tina over the top and allow people to edit that Strappy data in the back end. Yeah. And that person doesn't know that they're doing that. That's We're working on a project together right now and we're doing Sanity and we're pulling in Sanity and thinking about layering Tina on top of it for the people we're handing it off to. So yeah, I was wondering about that piece of it. Yeah. So yeah, that's what the the great thing about Tina is, is that like we have the ability to do that if you're using the open source tools. You can basically extend your own CMS over the top, um, which makes it really, really nice for developers, right? Because you, now you're just like, well, it doesn't matter what I'm using. Like as long as it fits into this style, like I can do, I can do this. So awesome. And so kind of out of the other side of this, uh, trying to support as a company, Tina, right, or Tina CMS, um, that's where the new cloud version comes into play. So, so there's probably going to be pricing and stuff past the, the alpha version of this. Is there expectations there where, um, like, a Sanity or Strapi or, or whatever, well, I don't know Strapi as well, but, like, Sanity has a true CDN for your images as well and, and things like that. Will the new cloud be able to handle all of that too? So the idea behind the cloud is is essentially like we want to be able to to give you your own media manager and allow you to manage that media however you want. We don't want to force you into a structure, right? Like we don't want to force you. Like Sanity has their CDN, has the image CDN, but you have to put it in Sanity. Like that's sure. the option. With Tina, what we want you to be able to do is let's say you use Cloudinary. That's where mm -hmm. you store your images. We want you to be able to use your already rolled up Cloudinary and be able to just drag and drop and put your images in and we'll handle putting it in where you want it. So we want to be able to give you the flexibility of using whatever you want without being constrained into that. Like, okay, you're using Tina Cloud, like now everything has to be in there. We're going the opposite route, which is, hey, you can use Tina Cloud, but if you're using Cloudinary or S3, like go ahead, like we'll, we'll figure the, the route to get it there. You just tell us where you want to put it. Again, that that's the joy of Jamstack, like right. having the best in class for whatever you want and you right. can use it. And that's awesome. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to facilitate that, that ability to use best in class tools or whatever you want to use without being constrained of like, well, I'm paying or I'm using or whatever that constraint is for a CMS. Like you have to be using that. And that was kind of my problem with, like, I had Sanity on my site and I took it off and just used Markdown um, because I didn't want to be constrained into that, like, well, I have to put everything here. Otherwise, I have to, like, write more code to do these things. So we're, we're trying to do more of, like, a, a layering system where you can kind of funnel some stuff in. So I, I've kind of gone through and, and stood up just a simple app on... Um, on the cloud version, the alpha, the alpha Tina CMS. Yep. Uh, is is there more features, I guess, coming soon that will be delivered to that, or is it kind of going to sit the way it is for a while? So the team right now are working on some really good stuff, like Cloudinary. That that's one of our things for Media Manager to give you the ability to drag and drop images. We're, we're currently working on a proof of concept there where. Um, you know, you can put in your cloudinary details and, and we'll handle everything and show it to you on the screen. Um, so we're doing a lot of stuff in this alpha 
getting ready. Like in the next two months, you'll see a lot more features being added. Um, they're working on, you know, being able to do like multi-branch um, or multi-user editing in a single like document at the same time. We're working on a bunch of different things to like give you more flexibility. Um, that's why we called it an alpha because we have the main nuts and bolts working, and there's just some things that aren't that weren't ready and we didn't feel comfortable. But our team is working on a lot of new cool features that we'll be announcing pretty pretty quickly, including an easier way to get started using like an MPX init kind of thing that'll give you the ability to sort of spin up a base layer and then take that however you want that's really cool that is cool i'm excited i'm excited let's go that way yeah it sounds like a really fantastic product so saying all of that stuff um we talked a little bit about the developer and the other side so it's pretty much going to be anybody but who is the target market for like tina cms or tina cloud yeah, so the Tina as a whole is sort of designed for developers who want to give their editing team a good experience. So that's mm-hmm. what we're looking for is, you know, that's why we're kind of initially focused on Next.js sites the, to, that store content in open format files such as Markdown or JSON, and then we'll open it up to other frameworks. But the idea is that, you know, as a developer, you know that your content team wants a really good experience, but you want to use the Jamstack. Like, that's what you want to use. And you can use Next.js and still give them the experience that they're used to, which is kind of WordPress, right? Like, if you look at WordPress as a whole, like, a lot of people don't particularly like it. I think it's perfectly fine. But if you look at the way it's it works, you know, you kind of see what you're typing as you're typing it, and it shows up on the screen. So those people will feel comfortable in getting the same experience through the mm-hmm. gems there. Um, I don't know if you can reveal this or not, but when when we're adding data to um, the cloud version of this, is this something that's like hosted on AWS um, in the in the back end? And um, you know, is there is there more accessibility to to what's happening with that data? Like, what's what's that look like from a cloud perspective? Yeah, so I can't. Here's the reason I'm asking. I got on early with Sanity and started to stand some things up, and it crashed a few times on me um, completely. And they had outages, and you know, it's it's working through all that stuff. But I'm just kind of curious, kind of what that roadmap might look like. Yeah, so I we, I can't really go one. I don't want to give you the wrong answer. That that's sure. part number one. <laughs> but the way that you can sort of think about the cloud piece is that we proxy it back into your GitHub repository, okay. right? So when you hit save on a form, what we do is we push that change to GitHub and like the chip, the edit is done there and our cloud product knows what is in GitHub to show okay. to the user. Okay. So, yeah. so you, can, you can sort of imagine it as like we're doing commits for you um, and, and, and it just allows you to use markdown files but still give that rich experience at the same time. So is GitHub the repo, the like single source of truth, like the main source of truth? Okay. Yeah. So like when you link your GitHub repository through Tina Cloud, like that becomes the source of truth. So when you deploy it out to save a sale or Netlify, we use GitHub as the source of truth. So when you're typing away and then you hit save, we make that change to GitHub and then everything's in sync. I like that. Makes Um, it easy. Talking about the kind of 
you know, just getting started and things like that um, and excitement from an advocacy standpoint. Um, how are you going about that? Is it just through like discord and, and kind of hammering on the socials? What's that look like for you, James? So I'm, I'm doing a few different things. So yes, we have some social stuff that we're doing, but my main focus has been since I started at least is education. Okay. Um, and then bringing it to, to people's ears and eyes. Like it, it's surprising how many people I, I've spoken to, whether I, when I took the job or, or in the space, in the Jamstack space. And they've been like, oh yeah, I've heard of them. And then that's the end of the conversation. Like there's no more to that. And it's like, well, okay, tell me, tell me what you know. Tell me, tell me how you feel. Tell me, tell me what you've seen. So I'm trying to do a little bit of that. Um, and, and really I'm just trying to, to, to get people aware that this tool is, is, is here and yeah. we're not going anywhere. And we've laid the foundation with the open source tooling. How are you starting those conversations? Um, a lot of it's just outreach for sort of people that I know are in the Jamstack space and being like, hey, like, have you checked out Tina? Um, is it on your like roadmap to check out? Like, let me know if I can help. Um, and then talking to other developer advocates in the space. Um, I've been talking to, to Nacho over at Cluck, um, cluck.dev, and just talking about like what their strategy was because they're sort of in the similar space that we are, okay. which is, they're pretty new in the space, but they have an amazing product. So, like, how do you start those? Comp like, how do you do more stuff? And and a lot of his is just being what uh, you know, being there, being in the space, talking to people on social media, whether it's about Tina or anything else. Because um, the more you see my face, the more likely you are to either click on my Twitter profile and see, oh, Tina, what's that? And then you go down that rabbit hole. Or you look at all the blog posts that I'm putting out around Tina content or videos, all those things, and and, and people are getting excited. Um, and then I'm doing you know live streams and my own content as well. Say, are you doing content creation for Tina too? Mm -hmm. Like, are you building content around that? Yep. Yep. So I'm I'm doing videos and blog posts at the same time. Um, so I just released a video I think last week. Um, which was on getting started with the Tina Cloud starter on their YouTube channel. Okay. Um, and then I have another video coming out, which may come out before this episode. I don't know when it's going to go live, but I'm doing one on getting started with defining the schema that helps you build those forms. Um, so yeah, I'll be creating content for them educational wise, helping them with guides and docs and all that stuff that developers need. And then also being around in the discord that we have for Tina um, and then on the side, doing my own live streams and stuff on my own channels to, to sort of build up. Yeah. Like, I saw you had a spelt course or crash course yeah. come out. <laughs> yeah, I'm very yeah, yeah. excited. I want to see the extended version of Tina in spelt. <laughs> yeah. So like we've talked about like what, what frameworks we, we want to add and support and things like that. So like definitely they're on our radar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. I can't wait to see kind of where Tina heads and especially the, the Tina Cloud product as it continues to grow. It, it's always fun to watch these like alpha things really take off, especially in the Jamstack space as more people join up. So it's awesome. Yeah. We'll yeah, have to have you back when Tina Cloud like officially releases and do an when episode we go, on that. 
we should do it when, when we go to beta, which will be like a few three or four months from now. We'll have like oh, more nice. more stuff with Perfect. that product, and then yeah, we can talk then. I'll give you some updates. That'd be awesome. I do. in your introduction, we talked a little bit about CollabStream, and I just mm-hmm. want to know more about CollabStream. If you can talk about that, yeah, absolutely. Oh. So, CollabStream said that ready. Yeah, I know. Apparently, teed it up. <laughs> so, CollabStream started as uh, a project after I got frustrated with what's in the marketplace. So like StreamYard, which is what you guys use, which it does its job, right? Like it does job and it does it reasonably okay. Then there's others out there like Restream and Melanap and a bunch of different ones. They all sort of do the same thing, which is, hey, like you can live stream from your web browser and you can have people come in. And that that's the end of their pitch, which is fine except from when you start to struggle with things like developers who want to collaborate together. And a prime example of that is sort of StreamYard, which is in this current setup that we're looking at right now, we've got three people on the left and then the screen on the right. But sometimes that's not what you actually want. And you start to struggle with layouts and trying to get everything set perfectly the way that you want it. So the way that CollabStream is built and it's still kind of early, um, I have like the video working and, and collaborations and joins and rooms and a bunch of other stuff. But what, what the idea is, is that you can customize the layout however you want, giving you the ability to do whatever you want with your collaboration through live streams. And now I'm building on top of that is I want the ability to sort of allow people to schedule their collaborations in the future, give them a link that's already ready to go, and then allow them to just click that link and immediately get into there and make it reasonably priced. And because that is one the piece that's missing. Is that the... Go ahead. That calendar link is the mm-hmm. piece that's missing like being yeah. able to like sync everyone's calendars together right. and figure that piece out is so hard. <laughs> right. It, 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 yeah, and like you, you guys do sort of the same thing as me which is we like we use Calendly and then you like put that and then you have to like remember to put a link somewhere so that someone knows where they're going and it's just it's just annoying and frustrating for everybody and like one of the biggest things that frustrate me was the price in general it's so expensive if you want to stream in 1080p like some of these people are charging 40 dollars a month just to be able to stream in 1080p to your twitch or to your youtube or wherever it's expensive like what kind of developer has forty dollars a month just 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 to pay for their live streaming, like right. and being able to collaborate with a friend easily? Yeah. Um, so what I did there was sort of say, you know, I'm not going to charge an extortionate amount of money. I looked at the pricing through Twilio because that's what I'm using for my video, and the inside scoop is these people are just outrageously charging over the top for things that don't cost a lot of money. So, yeah, the the theory is is that what I offer will always be a lot lower than than most people's pricing. Nice. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that's awesome. Can't wait to see it come out. If if you uh, get that scheduling thing figured out, let let, let know. me know. Yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, you'll be the first on the list. <laughs> well, I think this is a good segue into our perfect picks since I have the screen share all queued up, and I think you are first, James. Oh, yes. Do you want to go with yours? Yes. So my first pick is Clerk, which I talked about previously. 
Um, so they're doing like user authentication and user management in the Jamstack space. Um, I've done a couple of videos on them, but it's just super, super nice to play with. Essentially, you get the UI is built for you. Like the UI is available, even if you're doing everything locally inside without redirecting to their URLs. It's oh, wow. yeah. So you can basically self-mount those components and they look like what they do regardless. Um, it's really good. They offer user profiles, user profile switching, security management, all that kind of stuff. And it's definitely my top pick. If you're looking for authentication in Next.js, like 10 out of 10, definitely check it out. Um, and they're adding new features. Like they're talking about doing Firebase. So you can hook Clerk into Firebase. So if you have Firebase like Firestore or whatever, then you can use that. Um, I'm actually talking to their team I took their team on this past weekend about, hey, like when's that coming? And they sh they sent me the, like the proof of concept and and everything. So they're working on that right now. So hey, let's let's talk after and see if we can uh, get them on the pod. Yeah, I, I've cool. got the contact, so let me know. Yep, for sure. <laughs> can you use like Google sign up and like other signups with that? Yeah, yeah. So it has the ability to use Google Auth. The last time I used it, Google Auth was available. Um, right out of the box, so just sign in with a Google account. Um, I know they were adding more. I they move so quickly over there that I can barely keep up. <laughs> but yeah, they definitely have Google Office social sign-ins. That's so. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And your second pick. Yeah, my second pick. This thing is amazing. Okay, so just recently we ended up buying. We wanted to get like a bike of some nature, like Peloton like or Peloton. or something sync, right? So Peloton is I don't know. A gajillion dollars. I'm Too expensive. expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Too expensive. So, yeah. um, you know, being both my wife and I have really worked in tech for a long time, so we're pretty techy. So we ended up buying this Proform Carbon CX for five ninety nine, and it came with like a year subscription to their service, which is like another three or four hundred bucks. Um, and you just bring your own tablet, so it works exactly like a Peloton. Same idea. You can even use the Peloton app with it. Um. And it was like, you know, a third of the price. So we were like, hell, let's try it out. And yeah, I've been riding almost every day um, alongside powerlifting. And it's been an absolute joy. And even better is that it's a third of the price of a Peloton. Yeah. So you could use the Peloton app and like do the classes and yep. stuff with that's yep. really cool. Yeah. So like you get the best of both worlds. And their, their membership that you get is like a family. So I think you can have five people for the for, like for the price um and my wife uses it and i use it and yeah it's been really great like riding around the countryside when you know for a fact that you can't go outside yeah <laughs> it's been super nice to like do that kind of stuff awesome it's really well done and like it's very beginner focused so they have a lot of beginner classes but yeah i've been having a blast and it's really nice to do some some cardio that doesn't involve running in the street um even though especially now it's like 90 degrees in north carolina like nobody wants to be outside so yeah, <laughs> yeah it's super nice cool. so, yeah don't, don't you guys ever like wish when they when they had these it's not like these people that look ridiculous like, just, yeah so that's so that's the, the only good thing about the pro form is if you do the actual ride outside classes it's just a guy on a bike or a lady right. on a bike so they don't look ridiculous it's just them yeah. and they're like on their bike with like you know their lycra 
top on or whatever. <laughs> so they're like pretty normal and you get some, in, they have some really interesting stories. Like they'll tell you about the guy I've been, has been in Arizona and he was like a, I guess like a gravel rider for a lot of years. So he was like, he won the gravel competition at some point so he hmm. talks about like how many failures he had before he got there and like you get this cool story for like 10 weeks or 10 rides or however long about how he like got to where he was and basically he was like i was never the fastest person ever i was just the person with the best endurance and people would start to slow down and i would just keep the same pace for for however long it took and that's how i ended up winning it's the turtle in the hair yeah exactly exactly <laughs> So yeah, it's it's been really nice. But yeah, I agree. Like those people on the studio ones that look ridiculous. It's like you don't need to do that. You don't need like, to try I'm, and fool us. I, I get it, like you do this for a living, so I can appreciate it. But that's ridiculous. Anyways, <laughs> Brittany, I think your pick is related to maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe somebody uh, we recognize there. Oh, look at um, me. So this is the Tina blog in general, but this post is about James and his transition to developer advocate at Tina CMS. So I thought it was a good thing to throw out for anybody listening that wants to go and check out Tina CMS. They've got some starter blog posts on there. I think James has written a few of the blog posts on there. Yep. <laughs> You'll see my name there quite frequently. <laughs> and the cute little, is it a llama or an yes. alpaca? Okay, it's a, a llama. llama. Okay. So very similar to the Napoleon Dynamite Llama. Yeah. 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 Yep. Same idea. Okay. Very cute. Cool. And your second pick. Oh, my second pick is IFTTT, or If This Then That, is an app that I use to automate a lot of things at home. So I've been using it for probably... 10 years or so to do my shopping list. So I tell my Google home that I want to add something in my shopping list and IFTTT takes that and puts it into Todoist, which is the app that I use on my phone for the widget. So now I have been able to set up a, they call them recipes and I set up one for Google home and I took an inventory of everything in my deep freezer in the basement because I always go to the store and I forget what's in there. And then I buy like four more packs of broccoli and then I had four packs already. So I set up an inventory of everything in my deep freezer and now I can either tell it to add or remove things from my to do to doist inventory list just to Google home and it just takes care of it. I feel like you need to be able to like scan in and check out of your deep freezer. <laughs> yeah. I need one of those smart deep freezers or like, yeah. I don't know. So I used to use if this then that, and then they went to their new charging plan and I was like, uh. yeah, you can only do three recipes for free, which kind of sucks, but I don't know. I, I only use three. So. Cool. No, I still like uh, the product. So it's awesome. Uh, my first pick is the Chrome 91 update, which you're probably going to be passed after this comes out because the way they go through updates is amazing. But, <laughs> um, what, what came out in this one was File System Access API, which I find incredible. Like the further we get with these browsers, like coming into the OS is just insane in my mind. Um, it's going to probably create vulnerabilities uh, as we go along, but I think it's uh, amazingly powerful that we can start writing more and more uh, things on the web that can access OS stuff. So that is the first part of it. The second part and what 
is more impressive, if you ask me, is this 23% faster. Uh, so they, they tweaked the V8 engine, and you can read all about it in this blog, but um, that is incredible. Uh, as we all know, like Chrome is a memory hog and all those fun things, but if you can like speed it up and save that many years worth of JavaScript uh, processing time, I think it's a huge thing. So check out Sparkplug and all that fun part that came out in 91. Fantastic. I wonder, like, am I am I there yet? I think I am. Uh, let's see. Yeah, totally. Cool. And I'm on the M1, so it's built for the M1 now. Oh yeah! Look at you. He's fancy, right? <laughs> um, second pick. Uh, I've really been interested. My my son's a huge gamer, and I'm always telling him, "Let's build this. Let's build that. Let's write this JavaScript thing." And um. I finally was like, man, I really want to get into Flutter. Maybe this is a good opportunity. So I uh, started checking out Flame uh, Gaming Engine for, for Flutter. Um, still not convinced I can go down this path fully. I'm not a mobile developer, but I'm curious how far you can go with it on the web. So definitely check this out if you're interested at all in Flutter and Dart and uh, looking to, to write some games. So Sweet. Uh, that's my final pick. Cool. Well, thanks so much, James, for coming on. Really appreciate it again. Uh, it sounds like we'll have to have you on a few more times as Tina continues to grow. Definitely. Great. Congrats on the new gig. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Thank you well, for joining. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. See ya.